millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 68, we discuss whether ESPN, Turner and NBC are marginalizing soccer with their new streaming products. We say goodbye to ESPN FC on TV. NBC breaks a record for the most watched Premier League game of all time on US TV. And Peter Drury encapsulates what has been a joyful week of exciting soccer. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mail- mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by, um, by Kartik Krishnaya, as always. Now, Kartik, from this past week, uh, for me personally, this has been one of the most enjoyable weeks of soccer I've seen in such a long time. Uh, I picked out five games for me personally that were just just incredible, just really, really um, exciting matches. Um, and we won't go into all, all the detail of, of, of them now, but just, just for, uh, I don't know if you agree with us on this one, but Real Madrid against Juventus, uh, brilliant. Roma against Barca. Uh, RB Leipzig against Leverkusen on Monday, which was an incredible game. Uh, the Manchester derby and Cardiff City against Wolves. So before we get into the Champions League, let's talk about the Cardiff City against Wolves game on the Friday in the Championship. <laughs> <laughs> As a Swansea City supporter, this one was was even more entertaining. But this was just um, one of the most insane, bizarre endings to a game I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I, I've seen thousands of football matches. And most of the listeners probably don't know what happened in this one. Uh, Kartik, what, what, what happened? And what are your thoughts on it? Well, first off, a week later, it would have been behind the paywall. So uh, we're glad this match was on August, uh, was, excuse me, on April 6th and not on April 13th. Um, so it was available on ESPN uh, 3. It, unbelievable match. Top two teams in the championship coming into the match. Uh, Points-wise, Cardiff with a possibility of closing the gap on Wolves to three points with a game in hand if they win it. So think about what's at stake at the Cardiff City Stadium. Wolves get a goal. It's 1-0. We're in stoppage time. Carter frantically pushing for an equalizer. Draw a penalty. Uh, John Champion called this match brilliantly. Um, the, the person who stepped up to take the penalty, whose name is escaping me, has, not, has scored once all season, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, his penalty is saved. Um, he misses the penalty, but then Cardiff keeps pushing 
And there's five minutes of stoppage time in the, the at, towards the end of that fifth minute, approaching the sixth minute, another penalty called. Uh, and oh, by the way, they missed a couple chances to score uh, from open play between the two penalty calls. Junior Hoylett steps up, clanks it off the, the crossbar. Uh, Wolves win, and they're basically assured not only of promotion now, but of winning the championship. Uh, just dramatic scenes, uh, great crowd atmosphere in Cardiff, as we know they have a, a reputation for uh, for being a tough ground to go to. A lot of uh, theatrics after the match. Neil, Neil Warnock, never uh, short for uh, controversial comments, uh, started to brandish the other side sheets and you know the type, type of things Warnock does. So well, uh, if, if you miss this, you miss you miss something incredible. Well, 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 that's the thing though, Kartik too, because often, oftentimes, and again, sorry to pick on Fox, but I will pick on Fox. As soon as a game ends, full time whistle. Okay, right back to the studio. Off we go, and right into commercials. And anyone who's watched the uh, the championship uh, on ESPN uh, three this season or Sling Orange has been able to you mean yeah john champion talking after the final whistle yeah. and, th- and there's like like probably two or three maybe even four minutes of of uh, just uh, letting the camera run and just seeing what happens well in this match what happened at the very very end of the game was that neil warnock who's a very emotional manager anyway and then the wolves manager uh, nuno Esp- espirito santo so espirito santo went to try to shake uh, warnock's hands and and wolves the players were celebrating as if, as if they'd won uh, the championship, which in some ways they had, not mathematically, but it, with a huge win like this. So Warnock was like, he kept on saying on, ca- on camera, you can see it. The cameraman was chasing, chasing them. He was like, F off. And he kept on walking. He went walking over to the middle of the, the pitch to clap uh, the Cardiff City fans. And Espirito kept on kept on trying to shake his hand. And, and Warnock was F off, F off. <laughs> and and th- this happened for like a, like a minute. It seemed like a minute or so. And I was like, this is incredible. I mean, to me, it's like, I mean, just, just shake the guy's hand and stop uh, the Wolves manager chasing him around the pitch. Uh, obviously, the Wolves manager was kind of trying to make a statement at the same time, but incredible ending. And, and um, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later with the ESPN Plus and the championship. But uh, definitely watch the championship whenever you can, uh, especially in the, the next few weeks. Uh, also, Wolves midweek too, getting a big win against Derby and a, an incredible goal from long range scored there too. So, Wolves. The, the one thing actually, Kartik, I was a little bit disappointed with in this match was. Uh, the amount of long balls, I was like, "Wow, this is like a Cardiff were just floating the ball right into the um, into the penalty area, uh, and Wolves were trying to play the the ball on, on the grounds, but for the most part, it was Cardiff kind of sending it long. But still, it, it was a really entertaining uh, uh, brand of football. I'm actually entertaining game, not an entertaining brand of football in my opinion, but uh, yeah, incredible game. Yeah, I would agree, and uh, I think that that's the default tactic for managers like Warnock when they fall behind in games. Uh, uh, it, not, maybe not a long ball merchant the way some other uh, British managers are uh, cast as, but when they fall behind and they need a result, that's the default tactic. Yeah, and, and normally that would have worked. I mean, in this game, getting two penalties in injury time, uh, being down 1-0, I mean, they could have won this game easily 2-1, and and, and they were still pushing forward too and, and uh, had some other chances to score. Just a, uh, an incredibly entertaining game. Right, and I should mention Fulham keeps winning. So uh, Cardiff uh, now has fallen to third. They do have a match in hand, but... Uh, Cardiff and Fulham have been both in incredible form mm-hmm. uh, coming down the stretch in, in the championship season. And uh, it, 
one of those two are going to get promoted and one of them is going to fall to the playoffs, which is always a dodgy proposition. And uh, Cardiff has been through that many a time. They've, uh, they've been third or fourth. They've gotten to the playoff and been eliminated and then uh, not made it up to the Premier League. And then same thing with Fulham last season. They were, uh, I thought, the best team going into that playoff and, and got upset by Reading and, and, um, and Huddersfield went up through the, through, through the playoff final. So on Wednesday was the uh, Real Madrid-Juventus game, um, another entertaining match. This was uh, end-to-end action in this one. And uh, and actually even pre-match, I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh, Fox had a good segment about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's top five goals uh, in the Champions League. And each of them were incredible. And, and um, the, the talent went ahead and discussed each, each of the goals and kind of the, the pros and cons of, of each. That I thought was a good segment. And usually... We would have a Grant Wall segment about something that had nothing to do with the Champions League, usually Major League Soccer. So that was a great replacement for that and I uh, really thought that was entertaining. Uh, the match itself, what a great game. Uh, Stuart Holden and John Strong did a good job on commentating, I thought. And actually, even after the game, and this is the first time this has ever happened with me, uh, Fox's analysis, uh, especially Warren Barton, was great. Uh, he because both of the I think it was Alexi Lalas and um, Ian Joy were talking about uh, what an incredible game and the penalty incident, and Warren stood up and and said at that at that point is like well let's let's give some praise to Ronaldo to step up to take this penalty with this you mean huge pressure on his shoulders at a, at a clinical point in the game and uh, to be given the gift of, of of a penalty even though it was a, a good call um against a goalkeeper that's just come on the pitch but still the pressure's on Ronaldo and uh and, and he scored of course and and to me that was a good piece of analysis by Barton Chelsea you guessed right. Actually, the penalty had to be perfect. And uh, it, 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 uh, I, you're right. The analysis, I know Lawless right away jumped in. Uh, he's a big Gigi Buffon fan, as we know. So uh, Lawless tends to be a fan of Italian football in general, uh, for obvious reasons. He played there uh, for a number of years. But uh, he, he he got in and said right away, yeah, we love Gigi, but this was, you know, you can't behave that way. I, am, I, I agree with you. Barton then redirected it to, well, the pressure for Ronaldo to step up in that that situation and make that penalty. Um, that all having been said, you know, I think most of us, uh, there are obviously Real Madrid fans and, and a lot of them are Real Madrid fans for, you know, various reasons, but in the States, but most of us were gutted by the result uh, because it just seemed like Juventus had done everything right. Allegri had set up his team perfectly. There had been kind of the enforced change of having to start Manzukic because of Dybala's, um, uh, Dybala's, um, um, suspension, but they were using the right tactic for Mandzukic, uh, whipping crosses in, really creating a lot of pressure uh, on Real Madrid's back line, forcing them to make decisions to clear the ball and win balls in the air, which teams don't do to Real Madrid in Spain or in Europe enough. Um, so, like, we absolutely got his tactics right, and um, you know, I, I think we're all, those of us who are neutrals, we're all a little gutted you they didn't go through because, um, Oh, look, maybe it's because Real Madrid is so good and because Ronaldo is so good. But you, know, you get tired of, of, of seeing them every year win these sorts of matches. The, the two um, finals against Atleti, they won because of penalties or missed penalties or you know, late drama. And um, so I, I think there was some disappointment among neutrals. That having been said, uh, Chris, the Champions League really delivered this week. I mean, you know, delivered in a way that 
I don't think the World Cup is going to deliver this summer and delivered in a way the Champions League hasn't always delivered in the past, yep. even though it is, at least in theory, the best football played on the planet in this tournament every year. Yeah, imagine if those uh, these incidents that have happened in the past week in the Champions League did happen in the World Cup, how, how crazy the world would, would be going on social media, in the streets, in the bars, in the pubs, in the homes around the world. Uh, yeah, incredible drama. Then, on Tuesday, then, you had the uh, Roma-Barca game at the same time as Man City-Liverpool game. Um, it, it's unlucky for Fox on this one. I mean, you, you never know which the matches are going to be the most entertaining. But in terms of their selection of how they had the game set up, uh, it, it was backwards. So for the first legs of these games, um, they really should have had the Liverpool against Man City game on FS1 instead of FS2. And then in the second legs, uh, they had the you mean they had the Man City Liverpool game on FS1. Uh, and they should have really had the Roma-Barca game. But who, who would have known on FS1? But who would have known that that was going to be such an incredible game? So I, for me personally, uh, Kartik, I watched the Man City... I started watching the Man City-Liverpool game and um, watched uh, probably till about the 60th, 70th minute until the point I thought, OK, this, is, this looks like this is kind of uh, set in stone as far as the result goes. And then I switched to Roma against Barca on Facebook Live. And for Facebook Live, this was the, the, the biggest viewing number uh, ever for, this, for the Champions League uh, on, from Fox. When I tuned in, it was uh, 233,000 people watching this live. This is the US only watching this game live on Facebook. And what was happening at, as the Man City-Liverpool game went on, and it looked very likely that, that that result was set in stone, the Facebook Live, every second, another 1,000 people would, would be added. So you could see the number going up from, like say, like uh, 201, 202, so on and so forth, as the game proceeded towards the end. Uh, you had Mark Rogandino and uh, Mario Melkut on the call, um, who are passionate, who, who definitely uh, uh, deliver. And uh, But I thought it was a really big win for Facebook on this one. And uh, what, what an end into that game. Yeah, so um, I opted not to go to the office on Tuesday so I could watch these games. And then my power went out because we had a major storm. In South Florida, oh, right. which yeah. you know, tornadoes. So, right. Yeah, so my my uh, my power went out in the 60th minute of, I, of, of both games. I uh, still had obviously a phone line, so I shut down my Facebook. Um, power came back in time for the end of both games, but I missed um, the second Liverpool goal, and I missed critically the third Roma goal. I was back for the end, but. Um, it was uh, it was disappointing that that happened. We did, yeah, we had tornadoes and, and storms, uh, and so Wednesday didn't take any chance. Went to my office and ended up watching Juve Real Madrid uh, in my office, but uh, with with coworkers. Yeah, so unfortunately, I missed the drama, but I did uh, catch the end. But um, and I, I think we're going to talk about this. Uh, uh, Fox did a good job with their Facebook Live, and and I. I, I become more and more of a fan of that as the Champions League has progressed. But we missed an epic call from Peter Drury, which uh, people in the UK are talking about, both positively and negatively, I should point out, yeah. uh, at the end of that match. And I have it right here, Kartik. So let me go ahead and play it, because um, I, I was able to hunt this down and find it. It was really hard to find, actually. It was on BT Sport. So this would have been the world feed we would have had uh, if Fox had had the game on FS2 instead of on Facebook, uh, unless they went ahead and would have used Tony Miola and JP Della Camera. But here's the world feed from uh, Peter Drury that uh, people around the world have been talking about, um, except for the United States. 
Like my my yeah. my hair is standing on the back of my neck just li- listening to that. I mean, I got, I got goosebumps too, just from listening to that commentary. I, and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, so so having it on Facebook Live, yeah, that's great for people on Facebook. But uh, how many people would have loved to have seen this game on television? But not just that. How many would have loved to have have heard Peter Drury with that that call? Um, to me, that, that that's incredible. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, I guess, the trade-off with Fox going with native announcers, native American announcers. And I have to say, I thought uh, John Strong and Stu Holden, we turned up the volume in the office for Juve Real Madrid, were tremendous calling that match. But they are inhibited by not being at the match, which, you know, there were a couple of times where John Strong had to hesitate because he didn't have, and it's not his fault, he didn't have... um, the, the, the information he needed and, and, yep. and there would be like there would be a lag, I think, including on the penalty at the end of the match, if I'm not mistaken. I think there was a, a ten, five or ten second delay before he and Holden realized what had happened. Because remember, Buffon had come off his line and it appeared to have saved it or, or my remembering is correctly. Whatever the case, um, there is a trade off and you miss those moments, which. Yeah, you could be critical of, oh, we don't need all our announcers being British or whatever, but there is these iconic moments in the sport of football are often dis- defined by the commentator uh, throughout history, mm-hmm. throughout television history and uh, or broadcast history. And this is another moment. I think people are going to be talking about Peter Drury's epic call in Roma v. Barcelona for years to come. And unfortunately, we missed out on it in this country. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you think back to the Manchester City Aguero call um, when they won. The- that was Peter Drury also. Well, also Martin Tyler. Martin Tyler had that. It was depending on which feed you had, but yeah. Martin Tyler had had the the big one on that one. But this guy and Peter Drury and actually Craig Burley was his co-commentator on the international feed. In the U.S., we had Ian Dark and Steve McManaman. Remember, yeah. so yeah. everybody got different feeds. Yeah, and and that's the thing about uh, Fox's commentary this week. Nothing wrong with it at all, but I can't remember in my mind any of um, John Strong's calls for any of these goals in, in these exciting games. Same with uh, Mark Rogandino and Mario Mel- Mel- Mario Melchiot. They're all doing good, uh, good jobs, but I can't remember their calls. Now, this Peter Drury call, which, which, which that's a criticism that Peter Drury's gotten in the past too, is he seems very too scripted. When he's, it's almost as, as if he has notes prepared to read out when someone scores a goal. Well, I think it's just his delivery because I mean it was really great delivery, but it sounds scripted. But he wasn't going to know that uh, Manolo was going to score that goal and was going to be a, a Greek god to win it. So just the way that he delivers it does sound a bit scripted, which gives him some criticism 
a lot actually on WolfSoccerTalk.com in the comments section. I, I think he's a great commentator myself personally, but uh, but that that call is a perfect example of what we're missing out on and, and, and losing out on. And that's the thing too, because even for Fox's coverage on Wednesday for the Champions League, they opened with the call from the Roma-Barca game, but they didn't open with the Peter Drury call or the Mario Melchiot, uh, Mark Rogandino call. They opened with the call from the Italian uh, commentator where he went crazy in Italian, uh, mamma mia, and the whole thing, which was a great call in itself too. I, I really enjoyed that one also. But um, imagine if that had been Peter Drury. I mean, that, uh, again, it's not about the accent or where the person's from, but that is a great call on a memorable game, which was an incredible ending to another brilliant match from this past week. Yeah, absolutely. So the, so Man City-Liverpool game, can't take a, just t- talk a few minutes about this one. Um, I, I was really disappointed with Stuart Holden in this one because for that first goal that um, that uh, was scored, I, I thought it was a foul. I thought that uh, Raheem Sterling, with his forearm, pushed uh, Van Dijk and you mean right by the touchline and he toppled over. I thought that was a foul right there. And we had about two or three replays of the incident after the goal had been scored. But Stuart Holden didn't mention anything about, about that. He was kind of just more focused on whether Van Dyke should have kicked the ball out um, uh, into touch or not. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't until the 22nd minute of the game that did he even reference that, uh, oh, yeah, th- there was kind of a push there or kind of a forearm there. Um, so I, I guess he was concentrating or looking at different things than, than I, the viewer, was. But... Um, I, I didn't think that was... Uh, I, I thought he should have noticed that at least sooner. But then the, the, the Sane goal, or the Zane goal, the disallowed goal, uh, Kartik, on this one, um, Stuart Holden thought it should have counted during the game, uh, which I agree with. Uh, but then at halftime, Rob Stone asked Alexi Lalas what he thought, and Lalas said he didn't know. He didn't know the rule, which I thought was a really bad look for Fox. If you're going to ask somebody the question, it's, make sure he knows bad, it. It's a bad look, right? Yeah. But... In fairness, we had this very same situation in a for Arnold Strikers playoff game against Minnesota. Anyone who follows the NASL remembers that in 2014. Same exact situation. The goal counted, by the way, for uh, for Martin Nunez for Fort Lauderdale. But um, the commentators didn't know. We didn't know. I, I mean, I worked at the league, or actually, sorry, I worked for the team at that point. We didn't know. It, it, it's it, this is the most confusing aspect of the offside rule. Same thing happened in the 2007 Gold Cup semifinal between Canada and the United States. Canada should have had a goal. It was disallowed. Uh, this is, you know, is it an intent to play the ball? Does that count as a, a back pass? Was the movement of his foot or his knee a natural movement that is just reflexive and he's not trying to play the ball? That's all up to wild interpretation. You know, I'd rather Lawless. Lawless was genuinely, I think, torn. I mean, he knows, I think he knew the rule. He just didn't know how it gets interpreted in that position. So, um I sympathize with him, but you're right. Maybe they shouldn't put him in that position. Yeah. Rob Stone's even asking the question. Right, exactly. Oh, and, and where was Dr. Joe on this one, too? Because like the, the one time that you need him for a big call. You really like need him for this one, yeah. He wasn't yeah. there. And, and, and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, 24 hours later, then for the Wednesday broadcast of the Champions League, uh, they talked about this incident. Uh, and and Lars kind of then, then said, yeah, it's... it's uh, it, it should have been allowed because um, it doesn't matter. It, basically, he went through the whole rationale and, and said that, yeah, it should have been allowed and it, it was a mistake and this is a reason that we need VAR, um, which was fine on Wednesday. On Tuesday, not so much. When At that halftime, when you need that expert analysis, we didn't get it at that point. And Stuart Holden, to his credit, all along said that, yeah, this, this goal should have counted. It should not have been uh, disallowed. So 
difficult for Man City there, um, which that would have changed the game, at least for that second half, would have made it a completely different game. But uh wasn't meant to be the, the Kartik there. And then um, going back to some of these other matches, uh, the RB Leipzig against Leverkusen game on Monday, we had another dose of uh, John Champion, uh, this time with uh, Don Hutchinson uh, doing the commentary. This was actually a commentary for BT Sport, but then Fox went ahead and used that audio for this game. Another end-to-end uh, entertaining game, and uh, Leverkusen, surprisingly, I mean, just just I mean, just uh, dominating RB Leip- Leipzig in the second half, but in the first half, it was a close game. And then Kartik, uh, just going... Yeah, and uh, this was good to have um, uh, John Champion on the call. Yeah, the, 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 the strange thing, though, it's not strange. We, we've noticed this before, too. So they're using the BT Sport feed, but then oftentimes, well, maybe like three or four times during the commentary, John Champion will say, OK, and coming up this week on, on BT Sport. And then what happens is then Fox has to try to... Uh, cut uh, basically switch off the audio for like about ten or twenty seconds until John Champion comes back and then and then continues the commentary, and and that's just something that BT Sport does. So that's a bit awkward. But uh, and and then actually Fox didn't catch it quite right when they were editing the well, when they were doing the uh, live switching off of the audio on John Champion. So they missed it a couple of times where he did say a couple of things. But uh, I'm okay with that. I think John Champion did, did a great job and actually uh, accentuated the game. I think he brought brought things to this game that uh, that, that definitely uh, made it even better than it was. Now, Kartik, uh, from this past weekend, so lots of other games going on. The Manchester derby I missed. I, I, I saw the highlights of this one. I was, uh, I think my, my kids, yeah, my kids had a soccer tournament this weekend on the Saturday and the Sunday. So... I missed I missed this game completely. But uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Um, well, first off, uh, uh, Lee Dixon and uh, and Arlo White called two matches on uh, on Saturday. Now it's a reminder: a lot of people in the U.S. who aren't familiar with the U.K. don't realize Liverpool and Manchester are actually the same distance, approximately the same distance as Dallas and Fort Worth are from each other. A little further than Miami and Fort Lauderdale for. In South Florida, so you can go uh, at 9.30, 9.45 uh, time, so what, 2.45 um, BST out of Anfield, or sorry, out of Goodison uh, on your way to the Etihad, so uh, they made it in plenty of time, we're there for the pre- pre-match show, uh, very um, very um, complete broadcast from NBC. They did a good job, and obviously they're going to have. Uh, we'll talk about this next week, but they'll have. Uh, um, they're going to have some uh, good stuff this weekend, this coming weekend. Uh, I, I, I do think once again we had the issue of Arlo White trying to set scene on an NBC broadcast. He doesn't necessarily do this on an NBC SN or CNBC broadcast, but on an NBC broadcast by talking for what seemed like an eternity at the beginning of. Um, the the uh, broadcast uh, once they flipped to NBC. I, I should have timed it. It probably was about two minutes before Lee Dixon said it, anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, otherwise, I thought it was pretty good broadcast from NBC. Halftime, uh, Robbie Earl and uh, Kyle Martino rightly critical of Manchester United to come back, win in the second half, huge derby victory for them. But it shows and it reinforces my view that Manchester United have the best team, player for player in the Premier League and have not won a title this season because of Jose Mourinho, when he's forced to open up and play and play Pogba higher and allow um, Sanchez to do his thing, they look unstoppable. But it's his his instinct, and his instinct is based out of a lot of um, 
just being Mourinho and uh, wanting to to prove everybody else wrong, which is why I think so many of us gravitate to Jurgen Klopp naturally because he's the anti-Mourinho. And um, it, so many neutrals, I think, are pulling for Liverpool in the Champions League, not just because of Liverpool's history and everything Liverpool's been through as a club and uh, um, Liverpool supporters have been through through the years, but uh, because of Klopp versus Mourinho. And, and you can't help but take that analysis match because of the way United played when they had to play. Um, so, so, so this one, Kartik, I, I did get back from a kid's uh, soccer game right at the moment at, at the full-time whistle, and I heard uh, Rebecca Lowe say something uh, along the lines of, wow, this is one of the greatest uh, Premier League games. I can't remember if she said of all time or of this season. W- was it that good or, or, or were they exaggerating? What, this game was the best game? No. Uh, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it's tough to take context out of things, right? So historically, we say, oh, the best matches were um, the Newcastle-Liverpool match in, in 1996, the Man United-Man City match in 2012. These matches, uh, Chelsea-Man United in 2010, these matches have tended to decide titles or have title implications in them. But I think that there was, um, there certainly was a lot of drama, but I think it was... Um, it was one brilliant side in each half playing against a, a side that was either disinterested in Man United in the first half or had completely lost their composure in Man City in the second half. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm being overly critical. It was it was certainly entertaining, but was it the best match in the history of the Premier League? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the reason I ask too is because I think in the last couple of weeks we've seen NBC, Ola White uh, in particular, just really over-exaggerating how great these games are, almost trying to just just paint a, a you mean, an overly exaggerated That's what you have to do when the league, the league isn't very good. I mean, I hate to, again, people get so angry when I say this, but to me, like I watched it Lady Real Madrid the next day, and we were going to talk about that yet, much higher level, the actual football play than any of these Premier League games. Um, maybe it's not as entertaining, but um, yeah, you have to do that when you know when you're a, a seasoned football observer like Arlo White, and you know the football is being characterized by mistakes and long balls and all these sorts of things that uh, we really don't want to see. So you, you end up hyping the thing. So, so from this past week, uh, I saw the Europa League games on the Thursday. I uh, saw the Swansea game on the Saturday morning. The only other game I, I would want to mention that I did see was uh, Atlanta United against LAFC. This was on ESPN on the Saturday afternoon. I, I can't believe how bad this uh, LAFC team is defensively. I mean, really, yeah. really woeful. I mean, just uh, just ripped apart completely. I mean, this Atlanta side is, is entertaining by um, by any means, but but... The, the other thing about this one, Kartik, is that the atmosphere at Bobby Dodd Stadium was so much better on television than the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I mean, when it's when those games are played there, I'm, I'm sure if you're in the stadium, it's a great experience. But watching it on television, it sounds cavernous. It sounds like it's an indoor stadium, which technically it is. You know what I mean? And but but it's one of those things that uh, the Bobby Dodd Stadium atmosphere on television was so so much better. Well, it's a typical, if you, just, if you know American sports, that's the difference between a college football stadium, which is built for acoustics and built for kind of proximity to, to, to a pitch or a field in American terminology, and the NFL stadium, which is built with the luxury boxes and the high, high-end paying consumer in mind. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. I've heard that, uh, heard that comment from other people who were objective. A lot of Atlanta fans aren't very objective about things, but the few I've talked to that are say, yeah, it was it was so cool to play at Georgia Tech at Bobby Dodd Stadium that had kind of this European ground atmosphere. Um, the acoustics were incredible there compared to Mercedes-Benz. So you're not the only one making that observation, Chris. 
So before we move, we move on, Kartik, any other games you want to point out or mention that uh, you saw? Yeah, I, I mean, I saw Dortmund, uh, Stuttgart. It was good to see Dortmund, uh, Pulisic get a start, a rear start now under Stoger and uh, score a goal in the first half. Uh, Stuttgart's not very good, but uh, Dortmund needed that result. It, things have just going, been going terribly for them lately. And then I mentioned Real Madrid at Letty. I thought that was a, uh, um, a really good game. Just just a good game of football. Um, and, Re- and Real Madrid did not win that game with a dodgy late penalty, which I was suspecting would happen, actually, um, as they were pouring the pressure on and Oblak was having to make uh, save after save. The one thing I want to mention about this match, though, Chris, is I thought Ray Hudson, he's, he's prone to hyperbole. He's prone to kind of commentating and, and, and boxing Phil Shane out, and Phil knows how to handle that. Um, he was particularly bad in the last um, at least from my perspective, in the last five to ten minutes of this match, it was kind of unbearable. Uh, but I think he, like so many others, were expecting the, the, the Real winner or the penalty, which never came. Um, so credit to Simeone and Letty. They're, they're four points clear of Real. They might finish second in La Liga. Um, and obviously Real Madrid, because of everything we talked about earlier in the show, are going to be focused on Champions League uh, coming in. Oh, also, uh, I should mention I watched uh, uh, a little bit of New York City FC and uh, Real Salt Lake uh, uh, on Wednesday night, a uh, mid- rare midweek MLS match. It was uh, uh, somewhat entertaining. It wasn't great. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yep, so uh, this week, ESPN Plus uh, is launching. And um, unfortunately, uh, for a lot of people like myself, and you know, I'm very unhappy about this, and uh, Chris, I think you've heard from other people that are too, ESPN FC, which has become an indispensable tool for me, both from an entertainment standpoint and from a professional standpoint, covering the sport, uh, and for so many others in this country, is now now starting April 12th, which is actually the day we're recording this, behind the ESPN uh, Plus paywall. Uh, And there were other um, ESPN... Uh, programming. Uh, there's going to be a, a MLS Live goes behind that paywall. Um, USL, a lot of USL matches, uh, the, the football league, and, and uh, a lot of college soccer. But um, the ESPN uh, FC show going behind the paywall was uh, stunning, especially, Chris, because in the last few weeks, and this must probably was a concerted strategy by ESPN, they've been repeating the show more and more on ESPN2, on, on ESPN News, and I thought, oh, this is great. They have show, they're, they're building up a commitment to the show before the World Cup. That's why you, know, you used to show it once and maybe get one repeat. Uh, my DVR, which is set to it, is taping like five shows a night. <laughs> it was because I'm trying to get people to subscribe on ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Really sinister, if you think about it that way. Yeah, the, the ESPN FC news about about them being uh, dropped from television and then moved to ESPN Plus, which starts today, Thursday, uh, April twelfth. It's it's a devastating blow, really, for for soccer fans in the United States. Now, whether you watch ESPN FC uh, a lot, um, like Kartik, or not so much, like me, it's still it's still a great access and a great source of uh, being able to see highlights, analysis, discussion, debate about, about soccer. And by taking that off the the television airwaves, that really, to me, limits um, the mass appeal of, of soccer. I mean, there's no daily soccer show on Fox Sports. Uh, there's nothing on NBC Sports. Now there's nothing on ESPN. The only thing that's left is the extra on being sports. And a lot of listeners will probably complain that uh, they can't get being sports or that their cable system doesn't, doesn't uh, provide it. 
but here or, or they don't get it in HD. There are people who get right. on Comcast who don't get it in HD. Exactly. So, so to me, that's the the bitter pill in this one. Um, for ESPN Plus, I, I had a, I think it was a, a tweet from the ESPN uh, PR person that manages manages the soccer side, and he tweeted me publicly and said, uh, "Aren't you fans of European soccer so excited about this ESPN Plus launch?" And I said, "Not really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if so, if if I don't watch Major League Soccer that much, and if I don't watch USL that much, what's left? And they've got the Championship, which I was getting for free before through uh, either cable uh, satellite subscriptions or through uh, Sling Orange, getting it free that way. So now, what what's what else is there? Well, there's the UEFA Nations League." which starts um, later, what, this summer, like in September, I think it is. But we don't know what that is going to be like, if that is going to be glorified friendlies or if it's going to be really competitive matches. So there isn't a lot. Now, now if you're an MLS fan and you've been subscribing to uh, MLS Live, then yes, that's fantastic. Uh, It's a great cost savings. Or if you're a fan of soccer in general, you just like watching any soccer games, no matter what league or what competition it is, it's a great savings. But for for me, I'm, it's hard for me to get excited about this, unless unless they add some more um, rights to this. So we've talked about this in previous previous episodes. But maybe the FA Cup, maybe Serie A, adding those to the ESPN Plus would make it automatically a lot more uh, inviting to go ahead and subscribe to. It would, but the issue when I talk to people about that is that they don't want. Um they do not want Serie A and the FA Cup behind it, what they perceive as a paywall and having to order this OTT service for that. So, I, I mean, again, there's nothing you can do about it. Eventually there's acceptance and you end up shelving over the money uh, for this, uh, like people have done for NBC Sports Gold, uh, et cetera, uh, this year, uh, which, uh, by the way, I mean, I, I just, this is an aside. I, I forgot my NBC Sports Gold password. So this past weekend uh, when I wanted at that uh, – uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoff to, to turn on something other than Huggers Field and uh, uh, Brighton. I I mean, I, I know I can like get the password, restore, whatever, but I didn't feel like taking the time to do that. It's getting kind of complicated because you have passwords to all these things. And what, what happened is I got a new uh, iPad, so it didn't have my password that on my old iPad for NBC Sports Gold for the app automatically stored. So all these things are things that you don't think about when these OTT services come on. It's, it's it, it, it may seem convenient and on demand and all this stuff, but it's, it's so much easier just to turn on your television, honestly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that, that ESPN has done great in this, in this regard is is the price point. So $5 a month, um, I, I think that's a great price. And, and actually, the, the funny thing is, though, it's really the same price as NBC Sports Gold. But any, NBC Sports Gold for the Premier League Pass uh, is, what, $50 a season if you're beginning at the beginning of the season. And uh, it sounds like a lot of money, but really it works out to be $5 a month. Now, if NBC had with price there, NBC Sports Gold for the Premier League Pass at $5 a month, where you could subscribe or unsubscribe whenever you wanted to, I think that would have been a more more appealing. So the way that ESPN has launched ESPN Plus, I think price-wise makes complete sense. And supposedly um, there'll be more news coming out today about there's going to be a 30-day free trial of ESPN Plus. So you'll get a chance to maybe watch some of these uh, championship games or some Major League Soccer out-of-market games. Um, but then even with ESPN Plus too, it's not a cord-cutting solution. So you can't watch all of the Major League Soccer games you still need to have either a cable satellite subscription to watch um, 
the national games from Major League Soccer, uh, or you need Sling Orange or, or another service that offers ESPN for the national games. So it's uh, it's good it, for Major League Soccer fans. It's it's a slam dunk. It's great. It's a great uh, product uh, for everyone else. I think the jury's still out. Now, Kartik, moving on, um, some big news from NBC this week, and that is that uh, NBC has broken the record for the most watched Premier League match uh, of all time on US television. And that is for the Manchester City, Manchester United derby uh, between NBC over the air and Telemundo had 1.72 million viewers to watch this game. This one was really helped quite a bit by Telemundo. Telemundo's numbers, I believe, was over 300,000 viewers watching this on the Spanish language television. So that combined with the NBC number broke the record. Um, and and that's, that's, a, that's a huge accomplishment. A lot of the, the big numbers that we've seen in the past before have been from 2014, 2011. It's been a long time to get a number of this size. And... Um, Maybe we'll see. Well, I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll, who, who knows how long it'll, we'll have to wait until we see a number that big again for the Premier League. Now, Kartik, let's move on to the next uh, news item. EU investigators have raided the London office of 21st Century Fox yesterday, uh, which was Wednesday, to investigate alleged collusion in bidding for the right to broadcast sports events. 21st Century Fox includes the Fox Sports Division. I uh, want to point out, as has been pointed out in a number of the articles about this, that uh, the, the, a, a lot of the divisions in question are part of the sale to Disney that is pending uh, approval from, EU from the EU's regulatory body and from... Um, uh, presumably British regulatory bodies because of Brexit and obviously from the U.S., so U.S. regulatory bodies. So this could complicate um, the speculation, educated speculation, a lot of the articles that came out on Wednesday could could complicate maybe that Disney asset purchase from 21st Century Fox. So stay tuned. This is a big, big story, which we're going to hear more about in the next few weeks. Yeah, it also seems that this might be to deal uh, to do with the uh, the rights, the Fox Sports rights to their Eredivisie in Europe. So Fox Sports, uh, I think, acquired all the rights to the, the the Dutch league. So it may have something to do with that too. So we'll have to wait and see what the investigators find out. I think right to the Eredivisie they have. That's right, global rights to to yeah the Dutch league absolutely. Uh, moving on, Univision Deportes has finished the first quarter of 2018 as the number three sports network in the United States, regardless of language during prime time among adults from 18 to 49, beating FS1, ESPN2, NFL Network and NBA TV, among others. This is the sixth straight year of growth for Univision Deportes Network and the fourth time it is ranked as the number three sports network in prime time. Uh, among adults from 18 to 49 for a quarter. Uh, driving this, uh, the wins this quarter uh, was Liga Mekis. On Univision Deportes Network, Liga Mekis averaged 326,000 total viewers. Uh, in fact, Liga Mekis on Univision Deportes is up 79% uh, versus NBA on NBA TV and 68% versus NHL on NBCSN. Additionally, Liga Mekis on Univision Network averages uh, 938,000 viewers. Okay, in addition, I had a conversation with someone from CONCACAF uh, yesterday. Uh, the numbers for the CONCACAF Champions League, particularly game matches involving uh, Chivas and America that had been on Univision Deportes have really kind of spiked this number. 
uh, including, I think, this week as well, when we get into the, the ratings, we'll talk about that. Yeah, well, let's get into that right now. So the TV ratings for this past week. So some of the big numbers, uh, we don't have this week's numbers yet, but for the last week, the uh, Chivas against uh, Red Bull New York, uh, New York Red Bulls game was 649,000 viewers on a Wednesday night for a CONCACAF uh, Champions League game. That's a huge number midweek and, and a huge number for CONCACAF uh, uh, Champions League. And then we've got uh, some of the other numbers too. We had uh, that, that jumped out at us. Let me take a look and see. US, uh, US women's national team in the friendly against Mexico and Fox on Sunday had 627,000 viewers. Um, then we had, uh, let me see, of course, the 1.72 million for the Manchester Derby. Uh, Atlanta against uh, LAFC on ESPN on Saturday was uh, 259,000 uh, people watched that one. A little bit disappointing there, given that that's on ESPN. Uh, we'd expect a bigger number there. Sporting KC against LA Galaxy on the Sunday on FS1 uh, with uh, Zlatan. That was uh, 229,000 viewers. And um, the live well, this is the big one, Kartik. So we talked about this in last week's episode, and, and I said I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Liverpool-Man City game from the first leg in the Champions League on FS2 would be greater than the Barcelona-Roma first leg on FS1. And that did, in fact, uh, happen uh, by about 20,000 viewers. So 228,000 viewers for Liverpool-Man City on FS2 and 208 for Barcelona-Roma on FS1. And um, that's huge because I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that don't have FS2 that ended up going to the bars and pubs and other places that are that are not recorded in this number. And probably a lot of people watched it illegally. But uh, just goes to show that uh, that game should have been on FS1. That would have been a huge number for an incredibly entertaining game. Yeah, uh, I think it's also significant that the Portland-Orlando game on ESPN, 4 o'clock on Sunday, now granted it was going up against the final round of the Masters on CBS, 181,000 viewers. That's just that's, this is an embarrassing number, really, um, yeah. if you think about it. And those are two teams I tout as having these, these great fan bases. That's a, I mean, that's that's basically a cat like turning on the remote control. <laughs> that's, that's, that's such an insignificant <laughs> number. When you consider it's on big ESPN and it's 4 p.m. on a Sunday, it's not in some random bad time slot. So uh, again, it was going up against the Masters, but they're, but uh, I, I mean, you're going to always go up against something, which I guess is the excuse, the fallback excuse for MLS TV ratings, right, from their proponents. But yeah. I thought that was a really striking number, really bad. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the list of mailbag. Uh, first up is Bruce Miles. He posted this comment on worldsoccertalk.com. He said, uh, we had to go to a pub to watch the Liverpool-Man City game from the first leg on FS2. That was our only choice. Uh, sites such as yours, a great site, need to keep hitting this FS1, FS2 thing harder and harder. Uh, John Average Geek tweeted us this comment. He says that the Real Madrid-Juve game is just screaming to have Ray Hudson on this call. Stu is good, but Ray would be going insane. And then Robert Hay Jr. sent us this tweet. He says, um, if Serie A is on ESPN+, Plus, they'll get my money. And then we Yeah, have... <laughs> there are other people saying what Robert's saying, unfortunately. They're not happy about it, though. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if they did do it, then they they would gladly uh, pay up. But if they're not going to do it, or if it's things stay the same, <laughs> they're going to think about it. Um, and then we had a comment from Haddis, 
And uh, he emailed us this comment. He says, Christopher and Kartik, I'm a big fan of your podcast. The only complaint I have is that it's only once per week. I would also like to say a long overdue thank you for helping me cut the cord. I switched to Fubo since January 2017, and I am very happy with the service. I get my Premier League, Champions League, uh, La Liga, League Earn Fix, and uh, once in a while I catch a MLS game. Thanks to your website, I was able to do some analysis that helped me decide which service provider to choose. I have one question for you, and I hope you will be able to convey my message to the people who can address it as it was, uh, as you may have working relationships with these people or companies. I DVR most of the games that I cannot watch, such as the Champions League games, due to work or other circumstances. In these cases, I shut down all my, my communication with the world until I watch what I recorded. However, when I record games that were broadcast simultaneously, it is very difficult to avoid hearing from commentators or seeing pop-up score updates on the screen what is going on in the second game while you're watching the first game. And this annoys me to no end. So I'm wondering if the commentators could refrain from, from doing it and I just and just focus on the game they are commentating or give a heads up to the viewer that they are about to give updates about the other game. Ian Dark used to do this on ESPN a few years back so that the viewer has a chance to mute uh, or not look at the update uh, considering the technological advance we are in, um, come up with a solution to provide viewers to choose if they want to hear or see the update about the other simultaneously broadcast games. Thank you for all... Thank you for what what are you doing for the beautiful game. Now that's a great point, uh, Haddis, and it's something that um, comes up quite often. And um, and and actually, I, I think a lot of the listeners to the show, a lot of them are the executives at uh, the different uh, networks. So I, I know that ESPNs and the, the Foxes and the NBCs and the B in Sports and so on and so forth. A lot of the executives listen to this podcast uh, to kind of get a better understanding of what soccer fans are looking for and talking about. And this is a great, great point because, you I mean, in, in any of these games you've watched in the Champions League, as soon as a goal is scored in another game, it's popping up with a score update. And then John Strong or whoever's commentating will, will, will point to that and say, okay, oh, yeah, like Roma's just scored a, a goal against uh, Barcelona. Could it be, a, could it be a, a, an opportunity for uh, Roma to cause an, an upset here? Um, it's difficult because I think we're in this, in this day and age – uh, everything's immediate, everything's happening now. And um, yes, there are still a lot of people that are time shifting and, and watching programming, uh, pretending that nothing else is going on. Like, for example, the UEFA Champions League final from 2005 between Liverpool and AC Milan. I, I remember that one vividly because I switched off all communications. I was had a day job. I, I recorded the game, I think on ESPN2, I think it was. And then came home that night and, and, and watched it as if nothing, as if I had no idea what was going on, which is true. And I watched that and I remember just, just screaming and shouting and just yelling and what an incredible game. And my wife was coming downstairs wondering what's going on here. Uh, and it was a beauty, it was a joy to watch that game, not knowing what the score was and not knowing how it ended up. It was one of the most memorable games I've ever watched. Now, if, um, whether it's social media or if there was another game going on, going on at the same time and I'm watching the game and saving the other one for later to see what happens and I'm spoiled with uh, the score or I know what happens, it does ruin that, that viewing experience. So I don't know, Carter, what, what do you think? Do you have any uh, thoughts or ideas on this one? 
Yeah, that's uh, I, I see it both ways. Look, I, I think we didn't have Twitter, right? when the Istanbul final happens. So that, that's one factor. Uh, I think more and more people are DVRing these things, which is something commentators have to be cognizant of. At the same time, if you're John Strong and you're not reacting to something going on simultaneously, which is dramatic, uh, we just talked about Peter Drury's dramatic call, then maybe uh, people are thinking you're not doing your job. So uh, I think probably ultimately, uh, as mentioned by Hadas, Maybe the thing that you do is you have the Ian Dark. Um, he, 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 I remember that vividly. He would do those disclaimers. Uh, you know, if you don't want to know the score, t- turn away now, right, um, from another match. And uh, uh, But how natural is that for commentators to do that? That's, that's a question. So this is a very tough one, honestly, because in this day and age, it's tough to, tough to do that uh, because we live in this kind of, um, advanced news cycle with everything. But then at the same time, there were more people watching these games on delay that are watching it for a complete viewing experience because we didn't have DVRs back in the day or the, the mechanisms to do this. Um, so it, it's complicated, no doubt. Yeah, I, I would say I'd love it to go back to what it was, which would be that uh, the commentators are just focusing on the game that they're, they're commentating on and there's no ticker or score update in the, in, the, in the top corner. And then if somebody does want to watch the other game, uh, they can go ahead and, and watch that without knowing what the score is. Um, now with NBC, which is their, which is what they started with the, the bonus uh, programming, which is when a game ends, they'll switch over to another game. At least you can you can expect that. You know that's coming. But then at the same time, NBC during all the games in, in the top right corner, uh, when you're watching it on television, has that score update. So it's updating uh, continuously with the scores to the other games. Um, but for me personally, I mean, if there's, I mean, if we really want to know what's happening in those other games, it's so easy. Whether with, with a smartphone or a computer or a- any other device, uh, you could find that out pretty easily. Does it add the score update for the, the Premier League adds context to me because I might be wondering which of the, you mean, four or five games to 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 watch, or maybe I'll switch the programming. For the Champions League, when there's two games on, I'm probably going to stick to that game unless it looks like it's going to be over and done with, which is what happened with the Man City-Liverpool game. And then I switched to to the Roma-Barca to see what was going on there. But I, I knew what was going on because Stuart Holden and John Strong kind of indicated to me, you mean like, wow, things are going crazy in the Roma game. So it's a, I guess it's a double-edged sword. But but listeners, let, let us know what you think. Uh, give us your feedback on this one, because this is definitely a very uh, complicated topic, and, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, different uh, opinions about this one. You can always get, uh, reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com for your feedback, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post comments on the mothership, worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, it's been a fun show, um, but uh, where can listeners find you on the on the Twitter sphere if they want to stay updated on, on what you're uh, talking about um, throughout the week? Via Twitter, it's KKFLA737, um, and then uh, you'll get links to all my work from there. Yep, and you can follow me at World Soccer Talk, and of course, uh, chat with me at uh, worldsoccertalk.com. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, after a very exciting and thrilling Champions League uh 
quarterfinal stage and the draw that's on Friday to see who plays who and uh, another weekend of football to look forward to. Uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.